I have now reached that point in pastoral ministry where I can no longer remember if I have shared certain stories with you or not. So if I've already shared this story with you, then you have my permission to start your sermon nap now. For the rest of you, it was Labor Day weekend, 1998. You know, the last century. When a young man and a young woman started dating at East Tennessee State University, part of which is pictured on the screen. The two had known each other for a year, and while there was always an undeniable chemistry between them, something had shifted over the summer months. Having arrived back at college to begin another year, their friendship quickly blossomed into romance. They dated for about six weeks when on the young woman's birthday, the young man in the fraternity tradition lavaliered her with his fraternity letters. The necklace with the gold Lambda Chi Alpha fraternity letters adorning her neck was symbolic of his dating commitment to her and her to him. The relationship progressed quickly. One night, as they were driving through town in his 1989 Ford Bronco II with the really long CB antenna on the roof that swayed in the breeze, you could see him coming like a shark. He announced to her, I love you. Her response to him was, I know. Their love for one another was palpable. Even when they were in the same class but could not talk to one another, they gazed at each other from across the room, which said it all. So in February of 1999, the young man broke fraternity etiquette. You see, the correct progression in the Greek tradition following the lavalier is for a young man to offer the young woman his fraternity pin which is supposed to be celebrated in a special ceremony amidst his brotherhood. The young man never won to follow protocol nor etiquette if it did not suit him, and it almost never does. Bought the young woman an engagement ring instead. And on February 14th, 1999, the young man officially proposed to the young woman in the living room of his mother's home. Now, he had planned on proposing someplace much more romantic. But in truth, he was simply so excited to propose, he just couldn't wait. Which apparently was another situation where the young man dismissed etiquette because it just didn't suit him. Sadly for her, she said yes. (laughs) Well, since... The young man couldn't wait for an appropriate venue to pop the question. And since there was still the matter of supper not yet eaten, the young man talked his newly engaged fiancé into enjoying a fine dining experience at the local Taco Bell. (laughs) And since there was reason to celebrate, 
this same young, dumb man decided it was a good idea to invite his best friend Scott, who just got out of the Marine Corps, to come along. And that's when the fight started. And thank God, Amy and I haven't stopped fighting yet. Amy and I were married almost a year and a half later on a beautiful mid-June Saturday afternoon at Muncie Memorial United Methodist Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. The opening hymn of today's worship service was the opening hymn of our wedding. We celebrated with friends and family, food and drinks, good karaoke and bad karaoke, lots of laughs and a few tears of joy. I wish I could say that being married has been easy. But in truth, marriage is the most difficult commitment I have ever made. And forgive me for the language of this next sentence, but this is as clean as I can make it. God paired me with a woman who would not take any of my you-know-what. But rest assured, God did the same for her. Which is why I love Proverbs 27, 17, which says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's what our marriage has done for one another. It's sharpening us into more exact representations of who God is calling us to be, both as individuals and as husband and wife. And together we have walked through life, from the loss of an ectopic pregnancy early in our marriage to moving to Pennsylvania all by ourselves, from having our first child to buying a house for the very first time, from me responding to my call to pastoral ministry, you'd know my wife didn't marry a pastor. She didn't know that was going to be in the cards. To finding out we were pregnant with our second child, from then selling the house we'd only owned for a whole year, to the Brickers French Fry guy. You know who Brickers French Fries are around here? Bought our house. It was great. We actually made a couple of bucks off of it. it was wonderful. I don't know. Didn't think it was going to happen. To moving into a church parsonage for the first time in the middle of the summer with a very, 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 very pregnant Amy. And y'all, it was hot outside. To both of us going back to school at the same time. From the trials and the triumphs that go with parenthood to grieving the loss of loved ones. From ending pastoral appointments to beginning new ones. By faith, we took a leap into life together and have been the best of friends ever since. Do y'all remember the 1996 movie Jerry Maguire featuring Renee Zellweger and Tom Cruise? Do y'all remember that scene where Tom Cruise says to Renee, you complete me. We thought we completed each other. Jesus says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate, right? We thought we completed each other. Jesus said that we completed each other. The book of Ecclesiastes it offers a similar sentiment two are better than one because they have a good return for the work. If one falls down his friend can help him up but pity the person who falls and has no one to help him. Also if two lie down together they'll keep warm but how can one person keep warm alone though they may be overpowered two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not 
quickly or easily broken. And that's true. Two are stronger than one. Amy makes me a more likable and sociable person. Sincerely, if it were not for Amy's influence in my life, you would not like me. Because I'm mean. Look at my face. Now look at it if I'm getting snarly. I'm mean. She makes me likable. She's the only person I've ever been around whose mere presence brings me peace. And she's not only my best friend, she's my pastor. She's my pastor, which is why I'm protective of her. Because without her ministry to me, I would be unable to minister to you. And yet for all that Amy and I are to one another, we do not actually complete each other. In fact, the first couple years of our marriage were pretty rough. It didn't take long for us to become mad at each other because we couldn't complete the other person. And it wasn't until we left East Tennessee and moved to Pennsylvania that we were totally alone in our marriage. No friends, no family, just us and Jesus. And that was the beginning of a great realization, I think, saved our marriage. See, we were both followers of Jesus. We asked His blessing upon us at our marriage. We we even had two pastors. We had a Methodist, Pastor Jerry, and we had a Lutheran, Pastor Terry. We wanted to make sure they rhymed. It worked out well. But we hadn't really been relying on Jesus as the foundational member of our marriage. And it's interesting that the passage from Ecclesiastes speaks about two being stronger than one. But then at the very end of the verse, the writer says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Isn't that interesting? Because I I thought the wisdom was talking about two. So why all of a sudden does the author mention three? It's because without Jesus in the center of our relationship, we're not going to be as strong. Worse yet, we might turn on each other. And why won't we be as strong? Because we're broken. See, none of us are perfect. No person can complete you except Jesus Christ. You know, I've counseled many couples preparing for marriage. And I've counseled many married couples struggling in their relationship with one another. And whether it's the naivete of the almost married or the bitter resentment of a couple who've been mad at each other for many years, the number one reason why relationships can quickly get in trouble is because the couple has not accepted reality. See, there's a reality check everybody needs. No one is perfect, including and especially our spouses. If you don't know this, make sure you hear it now. Your spouse can't fix you. Neither can you fix your spouse. In fact, it's not your job to fix your spouse because you and your spouse are both broken. In fact, everyone in this room is broken. We can't fix 
any of our relationships, whether it's marriage or family or friends, because each of us is equally broken, equally flawed, equally human. That's why the Apostle Paul writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And listen, we live in a time where it's frowned upon to use words like broken to describe the human condition. And I want you to know that Paul's words are not intended to be self-deprecating. Rather, the language of brokenness offers a framework through which we find wholeness in the only one who can make us whole, Jesus. See, God created every person in God's image. God said we are good, and yet our humanity is incomplete without a relationship with God and each other. See, we're all broken. And while I know that's an unpopular opinion, church might still be the only place where you can still hear unpopular opinions and learn to wrestle with them. So sit tight. Actively listen and by all means wrestle, think critically about what you're going to hear. Because the only way to live in harmony with each other is to recognize that you are broken. To recognize that others are broken. Decide to invite God into our relationships and then choose to be broken together. It wasn't until Amy and I realized that we were equally broken that we decided to be broken together with Jesus at the center of our marriage. And I think that's God's plan. That's how he's fixing a broken world. Because salvation is not just for you or you or you. Salvation is for us. Salvation is for all our relationships. See, the very God... To which you came and you offered your hands as a beggar, recognizing that your human state is incomplete without the divinity of Jesus in your life. It is this God alone who accepted you as perfectly imperfect and then began the process of making you whole with his love. And God offers this same gift of salvation and sanctification to every person because we're all broken. Imperfect. Human. God's gift of salvation is meant to be used in our lives and in the lives of others to make something extraordinarily beautiful. But as is often the case in our culture, when we think something is broken, we throw it away. Now in Japan, there is an art form known as kintsuni. It highlights the Japanese appreciation of wear upon an object. It's a sign of beauty to the Japanese when an object has been cracked or chipped and then repaired. In fact, many Japanese homes have traditional tea sets that have been handed down through generations. Every time there is a chip or a crack, when it seems as though the tea bowl has been broken, the Japanese will repair it with kintsuni, which is a mixture of lacquer dusted with powdered gold. Now, I don't know the state of all your relationships, but I'm sure that there is at least one relationship in your life that appears to be cracked or chipped. Perhaps it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your adult child. 
Perhaps it's with your parent or your sibling. Perhaps it's with a friend or a co-worker. Or maybe it's somebody right here in this room today. And perhaps you've thought, I'm just going to discard this relationship. I'm just going to throw it away. Have you considered that maybe you are broken? And that the other person is broken? And that God wants us to be broken together. I mean, what would happen if we allowed Jesus the potter to step in and mend not only our brokenness, but also the brokenness that's present in our relationships? Only God who holds the whole world in the palm of His hands can take our mutual brokenness and form it into something beautifully whole with His love. When we choose to be broken together, we're giving God permission to make us whole. Something that's fit to be in His presence now and forever. Now, I am curious. May, and especially June, um, are typically big wedding months. So, by a show of hands, how many of you have recently celebrated or will be celebrating a wedding anniversary? Yep, statistics are good. My wife asked me a wonderful question that I bet many of you have asked somewhere along the way in your marriage. Why is there no marriage in heaven? And she had a follow-up question to this one, which offered a bit of rhetoric. She said, why would God choose to get rid of the one relationship that has allowed me to learn so much about his love for me? Now let me just pause for a moment and give praise to God for that kind of question because it's written by a wife who's chosen to be broken together with her spouse, otherwise known as this goober. And it's also praiseworthy that our marriage has been a source for Amy and I to deepen our appreciation of how God loves us. So thanks be to God for that. But I also want to offer some rhetoric in response to the question. Is it that God is getting rid of marriage or is it that marriage, as we understand it, becomes obsolete in heaven? Now, in today's scripture lesson, this question was posed of Jesus. Not quite like this, but still kind of the same question. And when it was posed, it was a trick question. In our scripture lesson today, the Sadducees, which was uh, kind of the opposite end of the Pharisees, the Sadducees were the um, elitist conservatives of the day. They did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. That was the two main differences between the. But the, of course, the whole group was united on getting rid of Jesus. But here, I digress. The bottom line is they were trying to make Jesus look foolish when they asked him this question. So his response to them is the source of the question I'm sharing with you now. But listen to Jesus' response. He said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. See, listen, listen. When God created, he did so out of his desire for relationship. Even the Godhead is relational, right? 
He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three in one. He is a relational God that creates out of a desire intrinsic to Him to have relationships. So that that means everything in all creation is created relationally. God created people to be in a relationship with Him and each other. So when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a need to fill the heavens as we have had the, uh, the need and the divine imperative to fill the earth. Because God Himself will have filled the heavens with the souls of those who responded by grace through faith to his invitation in Jesus. Likewise, our need for human companionship is going to be met differently. We're never ever listen. We're never ever going to be lonely again. We're never going to hurt again. We're never going to need the strength of another to help us in our daily living because we will enjoy life face to face with God. Jesus said, this is the old order of things. The new order of things is coming and with it, a new way of existing. So our desire for companionship, that's going to be fulfilled beyond all measure so that that we will know a marital bliss with God, the likes of which our own marriages barely touch. But this is important and I want you to hear this. God doesn't end relationships that teach us love in this life when we die. He builds upon them in heaven. Amy and I have and are becoming one person. Our souls are forever linked together. Our souls are also connected to every other soul with whom we've ever been in a relationship. Our children, our parents, our grandparents, all the souls who've gone before us, and every single Christian around the world, our souls are connected. Marriage, as we understand it on this side of death, becomes obsolete in heaven. But if you know anything about 1 Corinthians 13, you know at the end of that, he says, faith, hope, and love these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because when you are standing face to face with Jesus, faith will be obsolete. Hope will be obsolete because the, the source of faith will be in front of you and you'll no longer have need to hope because you're standing face to face with Jesus. So the only thing that was, is, and ever will be is love. In other words, we're going to graduate to a new and complete understanding of love in perfect harmony with Jesus face to face. Now, y'all are doing good. Not to muddy the waters. But did you know there is a marriage in heaven? Did you know that? It is the marriage. It's the marriage to end all marriages. The marriage will not take place between two people, but one people and one God. One of the final prophecies of the book of Revelation begins like this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And friends, if you don't know this, it's just a little eschatology late in the sermon. That way you can sort of not go to sleep again. Listen, we are the bride. The church is the bride. Our groom is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. When our wedding day finally arrives and the marriage is consummated, our blessed union will produce the new heaven and new earth. Can you imagine? 
Because I thought our wedding, I thought our wedding reception was pretty, pretty daggone good. But it's nothing compared to what will be. All those people, we among them, broken and put back together with the love of Jesus Christ. Like the golden ceiling of Kinsuni, all of us are going to shine with the radiant splendor of God's love, united forever in eternal companionship with Jesus Christ. And one day we will be there. But for now, for now, there are wedding plans to make. And more importantly, there are invitations to give. Revelations 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Beloved, we are invited. Not as perfect people. Because there aren't any. We're invited to be broken together with Jesus, who is the healer of our brokenness. So, let's be broken together. And let's invite others to join us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.